Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of the UK this time, but it's not the UK that I'm going to be talking about. I just want to give you an update, one that I've been wanting to do for a very long time, but I haven't been able to because I found myself kind of bouncing around, and when I'm not bouncing around, I'm kind of, yeah, I just haven't sat down and done done, done a podcast since I did this Iranian training. I've done a couple of podcasts between now and the Iranian training, but nothing about the Iranian training that I really want to update you on because I'm super excited about what's taking place in Iran. So a couple of weeks ago, I was able to do a training together with our friends from Iran. We had like 20 people from Iran, uh, all of them leaders uh, except for one. There was one lady who came in. I did a couple of things at this training, right? I first, one of the things that I did is I uh, brought everybody together and I shared with them about the Back to Jerusalem vision of the Chinese underground house church. Just, I always do that because one, it's in my nature, it's in my blood, it's what I do. Um, the other reason I do that is because I want to make sure that anything that I communicate is understood in the context in which I'm communicating it. So by explaining to them what Back to Jerusalem means, I'm able to make sure that we're kind of all on the same page, that my heart isn't necessarily to work with Iranians in Iran for the sake of Iran because I have a calling for Iran because as, as bad as it might sound, I just simply don't. I don't have a, an individual call to Iran to the Iranian people to go and live in Iran and preach the gospel in Iran by myself. So I don't have that missionary calling. So what takes me to Iran if I don't have a calling to Iran? Well, what takes me to Iran is that I work together with underground house church members of China and they have a calling to Iran and I merely serve them and facilitate their efforts in Iran. So I hope that makes sense. I know some of you that have been listening to us for a while, that makes a lot of sense because I've said it more than once. Some of you that might be new listeners, that might be a new concept or something that you didn't know before, but now you know, and as G.I. Joe used to say when I was a little kid, knowing is half the battle. And when I was there with about 20 of the underground house church leaders in Iran, we had such an amazing time. We were able to get this house kind of in the middle of nowhere. It was like a villa where there weren't that many people around. It was out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, I had this little small French car that I was driving around, kept bottoming out because we were on these dirt roads. <laughs> it started to rain. I was getting a little bit anxious on whether I would get stuck or not going back and forth to the meeting, uh, t getting 20 people coming down this muddy dirt road path to this villa that we rented. I was worried whether people might see them and wonder why are so many people driving to that, to that villa, but it felt pretty safe. We had an amazing time. We were able to spend morning till night there, starting off with praise and worship. And then we would have training throughout the day and we would eat all of our meals together. Oh, by the way, if you've ever had Persian food, oh, 
so good. We had this um, we had this one lady, she was an amazing cook, and for anybody that's been listening to this podcast for any amount of time at all, you know that from time to time I will talk about the way that I prefer to eat. One of the ways that I eat is called, you know, around known pretty much in uh, modern vernacular, if you will, as being keto. It just basically means that I eat a lot of fat, no carbs. So when I say no carbs, that means pretty much bread, pasta, rice is out of the question. So a lot of the Persian food is based on rice and breads. So, and it's not just rice, it's like fragrant rice, like beautiful rice, like decorated rice. So it's not just, you know, mom taking Uncle Ben's minute rice from the pan to your plate, like, you know, we might do in the, in the West, uh, which is, you know, could be tasty, but it's rather boring once you've had Persian rice, because I mean, it's so decorative, so many colors and flavors and textures. It's got like raisins and pistachios and greens and reds and browns and purples. And it's all, you know, and it's not just thrown into a plate and mixed up. It's like all decorative. It, it looks like a beautiful rice cake, like decoration like that. Yeah. I blew my keto diet when these women were cooking these amazing foods. You might hear some swallowing sounds as I drink my water. Um, the the foods that they were making were just oh so good. I would say they were the best part of the meeting, but that's not why the people came. People did not come together so that they could eat from the food. I would say that my teachings were somewhere lower on the scale of what was the most beneficial. Um, the, the food was at the top for me. The fellowship was second. And then the teaching and being able to share was kind of third or, or closer to the bottom. But it was really, really cool to be able to sit down with the Iranians and speak about the Back to Jerusalem vision, the vision of the underground house church, and the connection between the Chinese and the Iranians. Now, you may not think that there's a lot of connection between the Iranian church and the Chinese underground house church, but there is. In fact, I talk about it quite a bit in Jesus in Iran. That is a book right now that's available. It depends on when you're listening to this podcast, but if you're listening to this podcast at the beginning of December of 2021, I am telling you that is a book that you'll want to get and it's never been cheaper than it is right now. It's available on our website as all of our books are. Any of these books that you want to get for Christmas that we have it back to Jerusalem, now is the time because they're the cheapest they've ever been. The reason why is because we're high on inventory and we need to get rid of a lot of inventory. We need to clear shelves, especially for our audit in America. So we need to get rid of a lot of books. And so we've cut prices on everything lower than we've ever had before. And we want to be able to get those to you before Christmas. And they're available right now. You can go onto our website. It, we've got a big banner that talks about a Christmas sale. We also have several uh, bundles that are available, bundles of books. We have amazing children's books that are available also on our website right now. You can go on there, you can click on that banner, or you can just go to shop. And if you click on our bookshop, you'll be able to see that we have several books that are available for the lowest price we've ever had. And we want to get those to you before Christmas. So you can go onto our website, order those, and we'll send them out ASAP. So I'm there together with our people from 
the underground house church from Iran. I actually have some recordings of some of their songs. I wanted to play those, but I wasn't able to upload them on my computer before I did this podcast. That's kind of why I've delayed doing this podcast because I wanted to play you that those songs so that you could hear this beautiful praise and worship music that we just got engrossed in before we got into the teaching and the training. And I just, I found myself weeping. I don't weep that often, but when I do, it's because of I'm just emotionally blown away. And I'm sitting there, I'm with these precious, precious believers from Iran as they're just, and I mean, I know it, it's, it's not just because I'm in the presence of the Lord together with them, but I'm in the presence of the Lord with individuals that I know their background stories. Maybe not completely, but at least in part. And the part that I know humbles me because these are individuals who live in Iran and are being persecuted for their faith. They put everything on the line. They are living a life where life could be much more convenient, much simpler, much easier, much more comfortable if they were just simply Muslim, as their country requires. They would have an easier time with their family. It'd definitely be beneficial for them to get a better job. You don't want to go in and apply for a job and put on your resume that you're a Christian. That will definitely not get you hired. In fact, that will get you fired. They can get you arrested. They can get you thrown in prison. That could get you executed. And here I am sitting with these saints, praying together, singing together, and it just feels so powerful to be with these individuals that they're praying to God, not because they think that it's going to get them benefits or gifts or a nice car or a good job. In fact, they're praying to God knowing that they will get the opposite of that. They will get the opposite of a good job. They might lose their job. They will get the opposite of a great house. They might lose their house. They might have the opposite of having a, a, a nice car. They might lose their car. There's just something special about that worship. So we're at this meeting, and while we're at this meeting, there's a lady that comes up to me and she says, Hey, my husband is not a believer. Would it be possible for you to spend some time together with him and just share with him about Christ? I was like, yeah, we would absolutely love that. So this woman was able to convince her husband to come to this house church meeting, which we were, to be honest, a little bit apprehensive about because we don't necessarily want people to know that are not believers that these believers are coming together and meeting in a secret meeting because then you could have someone who is a Muslim go and report us to the authorities and we're no longer in a very good situation for a planned conference that we have together. So, we took the wife's word for it when she said that my husband will not report anybody to the police. And when she asked us to spend some time speaking with him, we did. He sat through the entire conference. He saw the praise and the worship. He heard the sermons. And then he came and he talked with us together. 
And I could see that he had something in his eyes that was hungry for the gospel. I could see that he was moldable. I could see that he was soft. I could see that he was not trying to be difficult during the meetings or ask questions that were not really in search of truth, but looking more to antagonize. And as we talked together, I laid my hands upon him. I remember very clearly I was at his side. So I was standing on the left side of him. I put my left hand on his chest. I put my right hand on his back and I could feel him shaking as I prayed for him. And in that moment, I believe that he felt the power of the Holy Spirit, not because I put my hands on him, of course, but because Jesus met with him and he gave his heart to Christ. Oh, so amazing so amazing because in the line of work that I do and the things that I often do on a regular basis, one of the things that I do a lot of is meet together with believers. Spend a lot of time preaching to believers, working together with missionaries, working together with those that have already been saved, and I'm helping them get into another country to reach those that are unreached, but I'm not actually reaching the unreached myself, right? I'm not speaking in crusades where I'm up on a stage and and handing out conversion cards once people accept Christ and, and, and praying with new believers because they just gave their heart to Christ five seconds ago. That's usually not the environment that I'm in, but when I am, even when it's just one person, oh, it's amazing. It's something that I can easily get addicted to. So he gives his heart to Christ and he and his wife, they go back to their home city for security reasons. I can't say where that city is, but they go back to the, their home city and the wife has already got a commitment from back to Jerusalem because she was a married female, but a single, she was the only Christian in her home and she needed a way to take care of her family. So we started working together with her to invest in her to build a business. That's something that we've been doing together with women in the Middle East and Africa for the last few months, where we are helping them to identify business opportunities and start their own business businesses. And then we have invested in those. So she's one of those people that we wanted to invest in. We wanted to invest in her life. We wanted to invest in her ministry. We wanted to invest in her family in the way that she'll be able to take care of herself and her family. Her husband has not been able to work. So we invested. And then and this had nothing to do with her husband accepting Christ. We already made that commitment before her husband came to Christ. So he knew that that was not a part of the deal. He, he knew that we were not using a manipulation tactic saying, sure, once your husband gets saved, we'll be able to give you guys money that you need to be able to start your business. It wasn't that at all. We had already committed to investing into the wife because she was already, she's one of the underground house church network leaders. So she goes back, her and her husband, her husband that is now a new believer. He goes back and they're starting this new business. And as they're starting this new business, they're up early in the morning because this business requires that. And outside is a woman in the cold. This is the time of year. It's uh, late November of 2021. And it's pretty cold outside. 
and there's a lady just outside of the window of the business and she wants to come in from the cold and kind of get warm. I don't know if she knocked on the window or, or exactly how they were able to meet with her, but they offered the man and the wife that are believers, they, they offered her to come into their shop and get warm. It's early in the morning, like three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, maybe. She comes in. It's an odd time to be out onto the street. It's an odd time to be on the street in Iran in winter. But she comes in and the husband and the wife, they share with her together. They find out, I don't know how, I, I, I would assume that would feel like an awkward conversation, but they find out that she's a prostitute. And she's in a bad place. Of course, she's broken. She's used. She feels disposable. She's cold, probably a bit homeless at the moment. I don't know if she is homeless, but I would think that if she had a home, she wouldn't be walking the streets at three o'clock in the morning, freezing cold, looking for a warm place to go and get warm. But there she is. She's in the shop. She's together with this underground house church leader and a brand new believer who merely shares his testimony. And the two of them are able to minister to this prostitute and she gives her heart to Christ. And now she's working together with that business. For those of you that are gatekeepers for Back to Jerusalem, I want to thank you for your monthly donations. I want to thank you for your partnership and your friendship and for staying with Back to Jerusalem. I want to thank you because your gift, your partnership, your friendship is what makes these kind of projects possible. We are able to go and invest in these lives because people like you make it possible for us to have funding and say, yes, we can do this. Yes, we can partner together with you. Yes, we can help you start this business, this company. Yes, we can help you start this ministry. And we don't even really have to put together a budget because the funding is already there. And it allows us to be able to meet the needs as we see them, when we see them. Oftentimes, one of the weaknesses of bigger ministries, there's many strengths. But one of the weaknesses is that you have to raise the funding. And then once you get that mechanism going, once you get that machine raising funding every month, you got to keep that mechanism going. You have to not just find a way to continue raising funds for that mechanism every single month, but then you have to find a way to spend those funds. What if the needs change? It's not easy for a bigger corporation just to stop on a dime and do a U-turn. Take a left turn, take a right turn. Think of it like this. Most big ministries are a little bit like a locomotive. They can haul a lot of stuff. They can bring in a lot of resources. They can be a massive blessing to anyone that's on their track. And if you're not on their track, they can build a new track. It'll take some time, but once it gets going, they will be able to bless your socks off, just bringing in resources like has never been done before on a massive level. But one of the benefits that we have as a smaller ministry is we're like a small lorry. 
a small truck, a small car. We can hit the brakes. Er, stop, turn around, take a left. You see a need of somebody on the road? You stop, you help. It's not a big locomotive machine that's gonna miss a stop that's gotta be right within the time zone that is marked on the chart. It doesn't have to be a place that's right along the tracks that has to be the same place every single time in order to bring the resources. Us being small allows us to get into places without really being seen and noticed. You ever seen a locomotive go through a city without being noticed? You will get killed if you get in the way. There's got to be guard arms that come down that keep cars from crossing the tracks during the time that that locomotive is going. And the reason why is because it needs to make the announcement that there's a big locomotive coming through here and it will smash you if you are in the way. So get out of the way. There's a lot of preparation that takes place with us in out. No one notices. You need to take a side road. There you go. You need to stop and make a, make a pit stop that was not arranged before. There you go. That's kind of who we are. As a ministry, we are able to bless individuals and monitor the progress face-to-face, -face, together, in relationship. That's what you are supporting. That's what you make possible as one of the Back to Jerusalem gatekeepers. And I want to say thank you. If you donate just one time and you go into Back to Jerusalem and put where most needed, that's what you're given to. You're allowing us to do something that we may have never done before and we may never do again, but we make the decision based on individual needs at the time as we're confronted with them. And I have to tell you, when you're working in a place like India or China, it might be possible, it may not be possible to do the same thing or the same type of thing every single day. If you're doing ministry, especially in America or even South America, it it's more than probable that you can get a program going where you do the same program every day. So for instance, if you're delivering Christmas gifts, let's say every single Christmas, you can plan that already in January of that year, move through the process throughout the entire year, spring and summer, getting into the fall, building up the progress for that, that project. And then right before Christmas, go out and do your delivery. And it can be a massive delivery because you've been planning on it all year round. And then you can plan for it for the next five years. You can project the growth for the next 10 years. You can put together a plan every single year, even get bank loans or tell people exactly where you're going to be, how things are going to grow, how their money is going to be used. And every receipt for every purchase is made available, available in a clean bookkeeping manner. That's why more than 98 cents out of every single dollar that is given to missions are used in Christian countries because to be quite honest, it's much easier to use funds in the West or in a Christian country, in a Protestant country where everything can be planned, everything can be accounted for, and everything is super clear. Try doing that in Afghanistan. Try making budgets and projections that are not going to change because of war, because of battle, because of invasion, because of a Taliban takeover, because of a tribal uprising in the area. Try getting clear receipts. Try making clear budgets. Try keeping those budgets. 
Try putting together a team to deliver simple packages using a system of trucks that are available today, but not tomorrow. Where you had four trucks today, but before the end of the day, one of those trucks run over a landmine that still hasn't been uncovered that was meant for the U.S. military, but the U.S. military is no longer there, but roads are still riddled with these devices. Now you got three trucks instead of four, and you can't buy a fourth truck because nobody's selling a truck. Or maybe you don't have it in the budget for another truck. You just lost a truck. You don't have insurance. You can't go to a state farm. You don't, you don't have triple A insurance. So you can go and call a tow truck, have them bring them down, bring the truck down to uncle Jed's barn so that they can bring out the best mechanic and get it up and going within the next couple of days. They don't have the kind of automotive store that you can go and buy the parts for that you need. What I'm trying to say is that Making plans in a place like Afghanistan is extremely difficult, if not outright impossible. So what happens is that if you try to keep the same ideas, the same program, the same fundraising strategy, the, the, the same project proposals that you do in the West, if you try to maintain that for countries like, like Afghanistan, good luck because it will never work. That's why so many people stay out because it's too difficult. It's too difficult to get the funds in. It's too difficult to run the programs. It's too difficult to do the planning. It's too difficult to stop on a dime, turn around and change your entire project because today everything changed because of war or famine or disease or disaster. But you as the gatekeeper make it possible for us to work in some of the most unhospitable areas and meet the needs directly as we see them. I don't want to thank you for that. One of those needs that we don't know what it's going to be like next year or the year after. We can't do a 5, 10, 20 year plan in Iran because the situation in Iran is changing every six months. One year they have um, uh, countries that can trade with them. One year they have countries that cannot tra trade with them. One year they have an embargo on their oil. The next year they don't. One year they're wanting to fight with Israel. The next year they don't. One year they want to declare war on the United States. The next year they won't. Well, actually, I think every year they want to declare war on the United States. So that makes it difficult to be able to do long-term planning in a place like Iran. But you, as a supporter, make it possible. If you are a gatekeeper, let me say thank you. If you're not a gatekeeper and you're listening to this podcast and you feel that God is speaking to you and you feel that this is something that you want to be a part of, could I encourage you to go onto our website there? You'll be able to see a button that will say specifically gatekeepers at the top right-hand corner. You click on that. It will give you more information on how you can become a partner. If you do decide to be a partner, I want to thank you. If you decide just to be a prayer partner with Back to Jerusalem, you don't have money to give or you don't feel right now that you're in a place where you can give money or maybe you don't think we're deserving of your finances, that's okay. But if you could pray for our ministry and pray for those that we minister together with, pray for our partners, pray for those that we serve, the underground house church in the many areas and where they serve. North Korea, Iran, Somalia, Sudan, Vietnam, Myanmar. We covet your prayers. 
We are so thankful for you taking the time and lifting us up before the Father. Could I ask for another favor? When you have a private Bible study, maybe it's at home, maybe it's at church, maybe it's a men's Bible study, maybe it's a women's Bible study, maybe it's a Wednesday night group that comes together over wine or cake or biscuits or coffee or tea or whatever. Could you stop and share about Back to Jerusalem, what we are doing together with your group and as a group, pray for us and pray for our missionaries. Pray for the work that we're doing right now in Iran. Pray for the sister in Iran who just saw her husband come to Christ and now they have a new business that has a new believer that is no longer a prostitute but is able to see hope for her life, a transformation that cannot even be explained. Pray for them. We would be so thankful for that. I want to thank you so much for downloading this Back to Jerusalem podcast. Again, I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of the UK. God bless.